What's up, everybody? Uh, welcome back to the Ones Ready Team Room. You got uh, Jared, myself, Trent. We're all here. Before we get into this juicy podcast with the commander of STTS, uh, uh, Major Chris Walsh, we are going to talk a little bit about Attack Elite. If you're trying to get into this special tactics life, you're going to need gear that supports you. So go over to attackelite.com. Check out everything that they have. They've got everything for every single assessment selection that you could need. Fins, mask, booties, rope, watches, rucks, anything that you need to support your training. Go on over there. Use the code OnesReady at checkout. You'll get a great discount and you'll be able to actually prepare exactly how you're going to do an assessment selection and further down the road like we said with uh, Major Walsh at uh, STTS. So go check it out, attackelite.com. Use our code OnesReady at checkout. And Is it really everything you need? Well, it's every. It's everything you need. What if I need? wake you... up, though, and I'm tired? And I need a little... Oh, oh. Ooh. A little how you doing? A little, yeah. little hoo-yah? Yeah. I would a little hoo to the hoo I would definitely go over to cardomax.com and check those guys out. Uh, you yeah. know, uh, Sean Matson over there crushing it with the, the immune booster, the energy booster, um, or energy intensifier rather. Uh, they've also got some hydration stuff as well, yep. but it's great. Um, <laughs> I was actually giving out some of the, uh, the great packets of the energy, mm-hmm. uh, intensifier. Those are the best. And I guess I didn't. Nobody read the instructions, and also I didn't say anything, so they thought that you just take it straight. Just which straight, you, Yo, which you can, you can, you can. But uh, boy, part it's, of the selection works. Some, it's, it's mix yeah. it in some how water. They deal with the yeah, the liquid. Yeah, yeah. Mix so it they in took some water, it, though. They took it straight to the dome. Uh, didn't I mean it? It still worked, but boy, they were uh, not happy that I didn't tell them to mix it with water. So definitely do that. They've got some great flavors, great tasting. Um, and they'd also have a promo code, One's Ready, so you can get yourself a discount. So check them out, cardomax.com. And now, on to Major Chris Walsh, because this is a good one. You guys yeah. really want to know about this for all the Phase 2 selection and officer stuff, uh, and plenty more. So, yep. enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the One's Ready podcast. You're in the team room, and somebody's ding is already going off. That's okay, though. It's amateur hour here. Always is. Uh, always will be. Baby. Always is. Always will be. Uh, today we have Lieutenant Colonel Chris Walsh. I appreciate you joining us, sir. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, my wife fixed in post. I'm still a major, so just oh, uh, it's okay. Right. I appreciate the field promotion. I will, you know. But I'm happy. I love that you said fix it in post. Like this guy's already like. <laughs> yeah, you're already in. He's like, oh, hey, I'm not. I'm not so sure about this podcast, but hey, if we can fix some stuff in post, I have a couple notes for you guys. Fantastic, yeah. sir. This is a, that's yeah. a big flex on the way out. <laughs> well, sir, you and I, I have you, known, you and I have known each other. We first met over in the UK um, yes. when, because you're you're not a organically grown stow. Um, you were a maintainer officer, if I remember right. I mean, it has been a while, but you were you were in maintenance, right? Yeah, no, that's correct. I, we did meet uh, when you were at the three twenty first, and I was at the hundredth uh, air refueling wing, working in the maintenance group at that time. Um, so yeah, you know that that was actually kind of where my first intro to like really getting to meet ST guys was at. So you know, I guess you made a good impression because I I made the decision to cross train. So you know, I uh, yeah, that, that was a really cool assignment. It was good exposure for me before I just decided to make the, the leap. Well, for sure, great. If this Impalumpa can do it, yeah, I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, the sir is a normal sized human capable of like doing all sort of things. <laughs> Sorry, Jared. It's no, okay. you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> not okay. 
Well, uh, sir, please uh, do us a favor. Go through your background. I don't know how much uh, of the MXG you want to hit or the maintenance group that you want to hit, but, um, you know, because you, you did have a – you went from the MXG – uh, AFSC or the Air Force Specialty Code to then transition into the Special Tactics Officer, what is now a 19Z. Um, and I know that process going through that has kind of changed, but if please go through your background, that way we can, you know, yeah. get some kind of bona fides out there and then we'll, um, we'll start getting into kind of what you guys or what you and, and the team are working on specifically now. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I'm going to rewind it all the way back to college because I think this is an important part of my journey getting into ST. Um, so I, you know, went to ROTC at, at a school called Valparaiso University, um, cross town with, a, with Notre Dame is kind of where our actual ROTC detachment lived. And then I wanted to be an ST guy right out of the bat. Like that's what I desired to do. Um, I'll tell you, Back then, colleges didn't know a whole lot about the process and, and all this, so I kind of put a package together completely on my own. And frankly, I didn't get picked up for phase one the first time I applied. And I say that to people because, hey, you know, you may fail, and it may drive you down a road that's going to make you better down the road. So uh, we can get into that subject later. I have a lot of thoughts there. But um, ultimately, that drove me to becoming a maintenance officer because I didn't get that first pick off, off the bat. Um, which was a very, very good developmental experience for me because you get put in a lot in charge of a lot of folks early on and they teach you some of these basic things that I think some, some still officers straight out, straight out the gates don't always get, you know, and like trusting your senior NCOs, knowing that they're the ones that really are the, the horsepower inside of your squadron and everything. Um, you just had to do that early on. You get 200 people and you're 22 year old Lieutenant, like who knows nothing about airplanes. You know, you pretty much are like, hey, I got if I don't listen to them, I'm going to get someone in trouble. So, um, yeah, so that was a good experience. And so then I did that for about two and a half years. I got I assessed or went to so selection, uh, the traditional phase two, um, which is which will be returning here soon um, back in 2009, 2010. And it took me almost a full year to get through the AFPC process before I actually got the cross train complete. So I got it. I actually wasn't sure if it was ever going to happen, but eventually. Why? I, what was what was the holdup, sir? Yeah, and you know, I, I don't know if it's changed, but at the time, it, it's very interesting. So, my career field was overmanned, or at least at sustainment levels, and I was going into an undermanned career field. The issue, mm -hmm. I think, mainly stemmed inside of you know being my first assignment and having a DROS with an overseas assignment. Oh, uh, so I think that might have been the driving factor. Um, either way. Uh, I actually had, you know, an officer that I looked up to a lot came up and took care of me and helped me, you know, get that process through earlier, which is really nice. Um, so one of those things you try to pay pay forward as you go down the road. But yeah, that got me into the pipeline and then, you know, pipeline was long, no real you know, no real drama there, I guess. That's right. worth commenting on. I mean, that's a whole other well, podcast, probably. Yeah. Well, the, the question we always ask, did you have to, re did you refire anything? Did you fail any schools? Did you get set back at all? So the only thing I failed in the pipeline, and I don't want this to sound cocky at all, but it was the, the when you do the three, two, one, you know, pull for uh, test burn, you know, like when you do that at combat control school, I went on the one versus the pull or whatever it is, you know, I failed and I was like, I'm so mad about that. Yeah. But no, that doesn't that sound cocky at all. That sounds like you didn't know how to count. So yeah. uh, the, the funny I thing was, about saying three, two, one, go is that thing in itself is a countdown. 
Three, yeah. two, ready, set, go is also yeah. three, two, one, go. Just saying. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I know. So, anyways, I was, I still, I still think about that. Like, how did I mess Apparently up the simplest so. thing I could have done? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, but uh, anyway, so yeah, pipeline went pretty smoothly. Um, actually, it's enjoyable time. So you know, hard, but you always look back on it with mm-hmm. with fond memories because you know it just makes some bonds that you don't get to re- can't recreate in many other settings. Um, and so then I went from there the two two STS uh, deployed out of the two two. Um, to Iraq and Syria, uh, I was a mission commander there. And nothing, nothing miraculous downrange. Um, then from from there, I went to North Carolina before for a little bit, and then did the WCAP program with Bobsled. So I did the Air Forces Athlete Program for uh, two and a half years, and then now uh, in command of the STTS down in Florida. So nice. Well, can I? Can I ask? I'm sorry. I just want to jump in and go back. No, no, what no. Were go the, for it. Uh, what were the expectations as a stow? Like, who gave you the expectations as a stow in the pipeline? Like, what were those expectations? Did you feel that pressure? Did anybody straight up tell you, like, you're not allowed to fail, you should be leading from the front, anything like that? Yeah, I mean, that was my belief as a stow. So the guys that I heard about coming in, like, I will say we didn't do a very good <clears> job, <throat> but, like, you know, it's something I've been trying to work on. Like, I didn't get a ton of mentorship as a young stow just because you just like, in my opinion, we just like really never saw stows. There was just so few of them. It was like the squadron commander was the guy inside STTS. That mm-hmm. has changed. Uh, we had a DO too, but um, so we, we didn't have a ton of touch points, as many as I think we should have. Either way, it was always like, you are the best, you are the fastest, you should be the fittest. Um, that was my expectation. I mean, I heard the stories about guy Derek Argel. I mean, and I just thought about him and he was, everyone was like, he was the standard, you know? And yeah. I was like, okay, well, that is what I have to strive to be and try to be the standard at every school I go to. And when everyone's tired, like I pick up another implement and I carry it, you know, and, and try yeah. to try to get guys through. That was my whole mentality going through the pipeline, um, which I still think is the right answer, but yeah. So. Yeah. But I, I mean, yeah, but once you get on team, right, like then you, as you go through the pipeline, you get on team, you have to learn how to start delegating Correct. some of those tasks. And, and coming from where you came from was probably slightly easier, but your relationship, I would imagine, with your, your teammates that you went through the pipeline with is slightly different than the, the airmen in the MXG. Absolutely. You know, that's one of the interesting things about, um, yeah, that was one of the things I craved. So if, uh, to touch on that point specifically, like the fact that you got to experience and be beside all the guys that you're going to lead to the same level, like you experience the same pain and, and suffering that everyone else experiences in the pipeline. I wanted that because right. you can only create those relationships and that bond through that experience. That's you right. don't get that in maintenance. And uh, so that was one of the big driving factors for me to be there. You know, I, you know, I, I always wanted to be kind of like a, a combat leader. Like, I, I know I never really did that, but that was my mentality is like, Hey, you leave from the front, you know, you look back at world war two officers and they're up on the front lines fighting and, you know, you, like Chesty Puller talks about his officer casualties were higher than his enlisted casualties. And that was my mentality. Like, that's where you are. So that was what I, that's what drove me into special tactics. Um, but your mentality definitely changed when you got the pipeline. You, you're not the guy who does everything all the time because frankly, you will get incredibly bogged down. And it also robs the, the enlisted force of that experience of like having to, you know, plan and, and develop themselves. Um, and, and with the way we were doing things previously, um, as enablers, like going out as an individual, 
if you're not a very capable individual, and we, we don't give you the ability to kind of do all that stuff on your own. You're going to struggle on some of those teams. So, but right. yeah, that's right. So, so would, would, did you have any of those experiences though with other stoves or anything? Like you talked about the senior NCOs in the MXG. I'm sorry, I keep talking about this, but like, yeah. as you develop through this process, uh, did you ever have to like mentor up another? Like, because you were a, a senior lieutenant, first lieutenant, or anything? Yeah, I was, a, I was a captain once I graduated. Captain. By the time I graduated the pipeline, yeah. Right. So, so like, have you ever pulled another stow aside or some senior NCOs and, and and learned them up on on the proper way to? you know, manage that relationship and, and who does what and all that other stuff. I have, you know, I actually, I've actually gotten in the ass of a few stoves before. Um, because, you know, I could, we don't do it enough to each other. You know, I feel like there's, you know, always kid gloves on sometimes. And I don't think that's, you know, they're adults too. So, um, but yeah, I've definitely brought that experience across and tried to, to push that down to the guys that came straight out of college and go straight into the pipeline. It's like, hey, here's how we've got to delegate things down and let the NCOs be NCOs. And even in the pipeline, that's valuable, right? Because, you know, you don't know what their experience is. And, and this is the environment that they can do it in a place where the consequences are significantly lower if you make a mistake. Like, yeah, we'll do push-ups. But, you know, someone's not going to get hurt or injured or killed uh, if we make a big mistake like that. So that was something I definitely tried to, to do and not carry the weight. But there were times where I was like, hey, this is going to suck more unless I pick up this rock and just run as fast as I can. And then, you know, that was just the way we're going to get through this, but you know, yeah. it just depends situational leadership, I suppose. Well, you bring up another great point and it's the difference between enlisted and officers. And I make this joke at work all the time. Like if I make a mistake, I'm going to get talked to. If my officer makes a mistake, he's going to get fired. So there's yeah. another thing with the, with the officers that, that people out there have to understand. So while the <laughs> risk is, you know, we, we put it in hyperbolic terms, right? Like somebody's going to get killed. Someone's going to get hurt. Someone's going to get injured. Um, but really you have to worry about the, like, you have to worry about what people think of the career field. When you're the officer that commands a team and you walk into a room with other officers, that's an additional risk that you're taking on is how do people view my entire organization? You might be yeah. the only officer that's put in front of people and has to talk through, here's how ST solves problems. Here's what this ST team is going to do for you, the battle space owner. That's a big deal. And we focus on that in the pipeline a little bit. How did you develop those muscles? How did you work yourself into a position where you could be that good combat leader that is also able to step into the room and, and have that additional sort of um, responsibility to, to really yeah. like be the leader? Yeah, I think, you know, it's that what we don't, what's that quote? It's like, we don't want to, uh, if we don't have, if we're not thinking or we're not reading or we're not learning, you know, we're going to have kind of the dumb people you know, leading our military and yeah, I forget the quote. I'll have to look it up. You, you know, I think, you know, how I'm referencing yeah, regardless. Yeah, you just kind of have to keep, keep reading, you know, I completely botched that one, but you got to just, you know, <laughs> keep professionally developing yourself and you got to get reps at it. Like, even if you are the smartest guy in the world, having that polished ability to go in front of a large audience of general officers very often, because I've done that many, many times as a singular stow in probably many miles. Um, you have to be able to have to do that by just getting reps. And I think that's good to put people in front of those in those situations. And if they fail, they fail. Uh, and then you just need to grow. Like, I don't think failure is a bad thing. You know, like it's, it's a place to grow from. Like I've done that. That's pretty much how I've gotten everywhere. You have to fail to, to grow. So people that don't, I think struggle. So I think that's the biggest thing is putting yourself in those positions and, 
you know, I'll tell you a story on that specifically. Like when I was in, when I was deployed in Iraq, you know, we were called in to do the planning conference for evacuation because the Mosul Dam was at one point, they were concerned it was going to, you know, explode and the whole, you know, yeah. southern part of Iraq is going to get flooded. And so there's going to be a plan on how to get people out of uh, some of the airfields. And so there's these massive planning conferences across all of CENTCOM, essentially. And you're the only Captain Stowe addressing, you know, all these generals and everybody as like, here is the ground truth and here's the plan. And you're doing that in front of the big audiences. You know, that's yep. pretty intimidating. But frankly, all you got to do is know, hey, you and your NCOs did the right thing and they gave you the good information. And they've got a good plan and you just take that plan forward and, and convey it and make sure you're conveying the risk appropriately because that's that's the biggest thing. Don't sign on to shit that you actually can't do and that's going to put your guys <laughs> yeah. in a bad position. So. Yeah, and people get that screwed up all the time. I have I have I have talks about risk all the time. There's always three risks, right? There's risk to mission. Is this mm -hmm. mission going to fail? Risk to force. Are my people going to get hurt? But there's also risk of inaction. And people tend to outweigh that risk of inaction. They're like, if I don't do anything, then, oh, the world is going to blow up. Like, you have yeah. to be able to look at a process and be like, well, what if we didn't do anything? What if we just waited? What, you know, why now is a great thing to ask during yeah, mission absolutely. planning. Like, okay, what are we going to do and why now? Um, so you developed yourself through the pipeline and you got some of those, some of those reps underneath your belt at the 321st. And here you are after the WCAP program, which is outstanding, by the way. How did, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but how, how did you like yeah. the WCAP program? Because that's awesome. I mean, you know, <laughs> I look, so it's, it's tough because I look at it as a phenomenal experience, but I'm also incredibly disappointed because it didn't end the way I wanted it to. Um, sure. Which is know, obviously I, the Olympics, right? Yeah. And, and I know that's yeah, yeah. quite a threshold to have set for failure or success, right? Go to the Olympics or don't. You know, I think a lot of people fall below <laughs> yeah. that line. But, um, yeah, right. <laughs> I, well, it, it's such it's such a funny thing. Like inside of this inside of this forum here in the team room with just the four of us, man, I hear you. Like you you achieve to the highest level, and there's still a part of all of us who are like, oh, I guess you didn't get to the Olympics. Oh, yeah. like we're gonna give you crap. You know, that, about it, but you're, that was you're the thing I was the most scared about. <laughs> I was like, all right, I, have I love to go it. back and face all these dudes, and I didn't make the games and. Absolutely. You know, and the, yeah. The fact that the fact that you're a stow is statistically impossible. The fact that you've deployed and you didn't get hurt, you led your teams bravely <laughs> through combat is statistically impossible. The fact that you got accepted to the WCAP, statistically impossible. And here we are talking about, oh, I can't believe you didn't make the Olympics. What a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> what a nerd. Uh, I can't believe it. Well, so that's that's fantastic, Sarah. And I'm, it, obviously, like we would love to see you in that. But man, if, if that's part of your story, it, it, it'll happen. And, and that's dope. Um, after the WCAP program, though, here you are. You're now the mm -hmm. commander of STTS, probably one of the most influential organizations yeah. inside of AFSOC. And I say that because for those of you that aren't tracking, the schoolhouses, the courses of initial entry, assessment selection, uh, you know, combat control school, STTS, <laughs> the, the apprentice course at Kirtland, those drive more tactics, techniques, procedures, training, manning. Those drive more discussions. You have more influence and those positions that people even understand. And, and here you are yeah. now in, in a, uh, and I think I'm supposed to say that we're in an inflection point here in ST and you're one of the people that's driving that train. So tell us about how, you know, just right when you showed up to STTS, how did, how did you feel about taking that position? It's funny because, you know, I, I didn't, I will tell you, you know, candidly, becoming a squadron commander was like not of my career plan. And I think a lot of those may say that, but, Sure. I think it's ultimately where you end up. And, you know, frankly, 
I was initially supposed to go be the DO. It's actually a funny story. I get like a text from the the wing commander the day after Christmas, and I was like, "Hey, I need you to give me a call." And I turned to my <laughs> wife and I was like, "I'm about Terrible. to get I'm about to get promoted to commander right now." <laughs> what, what was What was your heart rate? 195. Uh, yeah, right? I was like, here we go. Getting this that, is great. Getting yeah. that text for DS, just like, "Hey, no big deal. Just give me a call." Oh, okay. Tight, yeah. tight, 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 tight. What did I do wrong? Yeah, um, right. Yeah, but, uh, just report to the principal's office real quick. Yeah. No, but, you know, actually, since I've taken it on, um, it is it is a really badass job. And, and mainly because of the things exactly that you're talking about, like the impact that you can have and the things that was like, hey, I had issues with these when I was in the pipeline. And now there's really no excuse. If I don't fix it or take it on and, and try to take action on it, then it's I'm part of that problem. So that's um, right. I've really appreciated having that opportunity to kind of, to, t- to take control. And then it's also cool how you can positively impact people's careers and set a mm-hmm. culture. Like all that stuff is, is entirely valid. And either things that frustrate you as a stove with other leaders that you may have had in either career fields, you know, that I've been a part of, um, you're like, well, now it's time for me to take all those lessons and put them in action in, the, in a positive way. And granted, I will make my own mistakes and, and learn and grow from it. But Generally speaking, at least I have a lot of the what not to do and what to do examples of experience so far. So, you know, one sure. thing I, when I showed up, this is the, like I immediately walked in the squadron again and I hadn't been there in a while, um, like 10 years, I guess. And uh, I, I come in and the paint is the same color and, you know, <laughs> the like same all pictures the, are up all on the, the wall. statues are in the front. And I was like, all right, you know, the desk in the commander's office is in the same place. And I was like, okay. it smells the same. It smells exactly yeah. the same in the schoolhouse. Nothing. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, you know, I get it. But like, that was one of those things that's like, I, I want that to change because this is kind of the pinnacle of excellence, in my opinion, of our pipeline. And you should come through here and there should be a lot of pride and ownership here. So uh, that's an initiative that we're trying to work through at the squadron to get, you know, obviously, Mission comes before beautification things, but that's that's a, kind of at the top of my priority list is is to keep that stuff at the forefront because I think it matters. You know, like you go to the Olympic Training Center, for example, like man, you're proud when you walk through those doors. Like I look at SCTS in a very similar light. It's like, hey, this is mm-hmm. where you're coming to get your graduate level, you know, degree and special tactics stuff um, before you go off to your master's training to be a seven level. So, all right. Sorry, master's degree, and then your graduate level at the at the end there, but or PhD. So, anyways, no, that I know stuff about education. Trust me. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm educated. I know smart. I, I know books. school things. Yeah, I read books. <laughs> the um, take a, a small step back, real quick, um, because you you talked about how the the influence in shaping uh, the future of special tactics, whether it's you know. PJ, combat controller, SR, even the TACPs that ended up going through STTS. And, and you recognize the importance of that, um, having, having been in for so long now. Um, but you do have staff sergeant, tech sergeant, and, and even a, a few mass sergeants as instructors. And you know, most of us, like, we, we rarely want to leave the teams because you know, mm-hmm. we want to keep deploying. We want to keep training. Um, sometimes, you know, people do need to take a break and they'll, they'll raise their hand and say, Hey, I need to take a break, but, um, which is great and encouraged. Um, but sometimes guys just don't want to go be an instructor. So they're kind of bummed about it. But one of the things like I would, I would try and tell folks at the two twos when I'd send them to be instructors, like, like, 
all those things that you said that you you went through that you didn't like that you were like man this kind of this kind of sucks or, or not not sucks but just like this could be done better kind of yeah. thing um like and the maybe some of the trends that you're seeing and some of the guys that arrive at the team like as an instructor whether you're in the pipeline or you're at stts this is your chance to change or Absolutely. influence and shape the career field um have have you been able to or how do you specifically kind of impart that that mental shift for them at stts yeah no that's i mean you're you're 100 spot on with that um you know i think the on that to a kind of a tangent on it like the quality of people that we're getting into the career field i don't think has changed necessarily i think the thing that that we need to remember is like how we develop them throughout the pipeline is what we're going to get at the end of end products. Right. And when I talk to guys, especially newer instructors coming in and I kind of give them my philosophy on like how I want SCTS to look and how I want this training to feel, um, and want it to be difficult and challenging, like not just, Hey, you come sign off line items and we're going to get your five. Well, like, no, I don't, yeah. but you know, I know people value that from a programmatic standpoint, but I don't value that. Frankly, like I'd rather you go out here with 50%, you know, no line on it, but you're fucking yeah. really good at shoot, move, and communicate, <laughs> and you can do your job well. We can chase that stuff later. Frankly, it's it's you know that's a whole other topic. But um, so I, I tell them that I'm like, hey, you remember your young guys coming in, and they're not, you know, they come to the team, and you're like, man, this guy doesn't know how to do this or that, and he seems pretty immature. It's like, well, that happened because either his instructor didn't give a shit, or it's so bogged down, and they didn't give him attention enough to, to shore up those and put them in positions to fix those, those, uh, those qualities in himself and challenge him. So, and I think when you frame it in that perspective, they're like, yeah, you're right. You know, I'm, I'm essentially building the next generation of, of warriors for yeah. our community. And if we don't do it correctly, then, you know, we pay the dividends down the road and generally that's paid in blood and we don't want to do that. So that's kind yeah. of the way I like to, to frame it. Well, from, from my time as an instructor too, and I think people get this, people get it twisted all the time to take some of the kids' words, right? So people will get to the units and then the people on team at the units will look at these, these young operators and go, oh my God, I can't believe this guy is doing X, right? Okay, so let me just frame this. At STTS, you have about 150 students. At Kirtland, it was about the same. So it's you know, anywhere between 125 to 200 students at any given time. If that student never got in trouble, if that student never required my attention for me to really dig in and give them individual mm -hmm. attention, there isn't enough time in the day. So these other instruct the, the, the guys on team, I always frame it to them like this, be like, hey, you got that individual attention from that instructor because you were enough of a screw up that we had to talk to you directly and give you personal attention <laughs> to yeah. fix your problems. That's where you think like everybody, like not everybody is getting this individualized attention. We're trying to get there but it's still a massive bill to pay for those instructors each and every day to give more. They already give so much of themselves. They're there two hours before the students. They're there two hours after the students. They're engaging uh, on problems. You know, sometimes one or two students take up 80% of your given attention on any given day because they need the most input. And there's a huge portion of the middle that you just have to trust the process and hopefully mm -hmm. they figure it out. So, you know, Anytime that I hear the team guys poo poo, oh, these, these new students are X or, oh, back in my day, I was Y. Well, that's because you were a problem child there, Master <laughs> Sergeant Controller. Like, yeah. that's why you felt like you had a bunch of it. Yeah, exactly. And they, they got to be a hearing, controller. Well, it just got, <laughs> you know, why. Just, it, it just, yeah. <laughs> it just, 
DJs are the same. It's just, uh, I guess we're like, hey, uh, why why does this guy not know how to hacky sack? And this guy obviously doesn't eat organic uh, food. Yeah. You know? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what jokes I'm supposed to make about. <laughs> no, that, that's valid. Since we're talking about STS, uh, STTS, what are some of the, the big rocks you're moving? I know that there's one in particular that we want to hit, and I don't know if you want to hit that now, but I know that STTS is, is always kind of trying to move like three boulders at one, three massive boulders at one yeah. time. So um, I'll, I'm just going to throw it out there, and you you pick and choose okay. whatever boulder you want to talk about. Yeah, so I think, yeah, we'll just jump into the one right off the bat because it's, uh, it's pertinent. Um, but one thing when I came in, I was like, hey, so that, when are we doing the next phase two test selection? They're like, oh, we don't do that anymore. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> um, so, you know, that was a decision that was made to, you know, with stand up the training wing. Like I, I wasn't really that connected to the normal community when all this was happening. So I'm a, I was a bit removed and, and kind of came into it with, you know, fresh newborn eyes like okay looking at it with no not experiencing it so i kind of get to look at it very at, at its very at face value so um when we kind of dug into that we weren't making a session the session needs we to sustain the stoke career field like we just weren't getting enough guys and there's a lot of reasons why when the timing of the thing was you know when you line it up with spring breaks and colleges and when guys from the academy can go like it was just it's a challenging process. We send our enlisted folks to this fucking heinous, excuse my language, just heinous <laughs> selection after oh, years it. and years. How uh, dare you? How dare you, sir? This I is know, it. Very, an officer like of me, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, it, and it just wasn't a very, it wasn't a good process when you consider that all the factors that go into getting someone the opportunity to, to assess for the career field. So, we dug into it a bit more. I kind of it was one of the first things I pitched up to, to, to hire was like, Hey, I'd like to relook at Stowe selection. But at the time they're like, no, you know, it's just moved across over to special warfare training wing. And then kind of came to light very quickly. Like, Hey, this isn't meeting our needs. And so I was like, okay, we're back at this conversation. So that being all that being said, as a quick background, um, we have changed the process on how our one Zulu career fields, are able to apply and and cross over to the officer side. Um, there's a whole application for it, but uh, it is now a traditional phase one package that they'll put through, which has a bit more commander, flight commander input um, type items in it because that's very pertinent to to the application we believe. And then there'll be a in in person phase two selection that will happen. So uh, dates on that, like those packages, will be due like three January. Um, obviously it's across, I know it's across the, <laughs> I'm not going to say there's a, a grace period, but I'm also a realist. So, you know, sure. we, it, it is over the holidays is when this is kind of really coming into action. So, you know, I understand that. So if you want to apply, just, just communicate that to your command teams. We'll work through it. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, we'll make sure we'll get this out pretty, pretty fast. If it yeah, and we pushed as, fast out, as possible. Yeah. We pushed it out to the command teams. I don't know if it's come down. I know that, you know, on your side, you're in a different situation than the other squad and being, and being in a commit situation. Um, and then at the end of January, we'll do a phase two, phase two selection. But that selection is not geared towards like, hey, can this guy do pool skills? And is he really good at running fast? Like it, we're looking at leadership qualities, intellectual ability, you know, reading, writing, you know, briefing, mission planning, like the things that the officership skills, like we know at this point, you're a capable operator or you should be. Um, 
And if you should be, you're getting a recommendation from your commander. So they're saying, Hey, this is a capable NCO that wants to come be a, an officer. So I'm not really that worried about, Hey, are you good at running a five minute mile? Like, right. It's, it's not that important to me at this stage in your career, but I am worried about like, Hey, do you have the mental, you know, horsepower and the, the general leadership skills to, to do this job and be the right person to take the career for feel forward. Like it's, that's the important thing is it's not just like, Hey, are you are a smart, well-polished person? It's like, Hey, can you think critically and, and take the career field in the right direction in the future um, and have that type of, you know, foresight. So I think that's, that's what we're doing with that piece of it. And so if there's specific questions there. I can feel them real quick. Or well, I mean, the so do you give them the demo test where you have to count down or? Yeah, that's a big one. <laughs> that's, the, that's the one. They let me slip through. So, so right off the bat, since we're kind of on a truncated time schedule here, where do folks go to get that, that package or for phase <clears> one? Yeah. So it should be on the aspect warfare. <clears throat> website um and airforcespecialtactics.com i think are the two websites i don't know the addresses offhand but I oh, wait, i'll, I'll get them and we'll yeah. put them up uh, the, the standard, there's a banner will be below this and i'll put it on there yeah, yeah. so those two places and then we've emailed this out I, i've i've communicated to all the command teams directly like here is the package and here are the 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 eval letters and all those stuff that you have to attach to it um that is with command teams at this time so and again, you know, if you guys have specifically have people that, you know, want to do this and they don't have the info, reach out to me. You can also yeah. email the 24 South assessments org box. I can get you that email address. That is where all the packages go for every set selection. Um, and, and that will be a place to communicate and we can get you information through there. So, yep. I'm looking at aspectward.com right now. You can go and you can hit the stow recruiter at us.af.mil. There's a frequently asked questions on yep. there. So that's, that's aspectward.com. So stow.recruiter at us.af.mil. That's right. Yep. So, so you, you kind of stepped into this, this position at a weird time. We have 19 Zulus changed since you went through one Zulus mm -hmm. changed. The, the pipeline changed what what what's it like working through all this change and, and what are we are, are the ones Zulu's going to have to go through the entire pipeline again um I, I know this is two separate questions that i'm asking yeah and they're not related at all yeah so I'm, just, I'm just trying to put it in perspective of, of all the things that are happening right now all the chaos and then like you're also trying to like get this process nailed down yeah um so i'll answer the second part first because it's a little easier answer so yeah. generally speaking uh no, they won't repeat all of the pipeline. So that'll be, it'll be kind of situationally dependent, like a pararescue man that comes across to become a so. There may be one school that we want them to just get a, a touch point with uh, just so they have it. Like, hey, they may need to go to CCS because there's a lot of core stuff that we do that is important. Um, yep. I, they obviously don't need to go to dive. They don't need to do all that other stuff, but that's just an example. And, and so that will be piecemeal. Obviously the controllers will be pretty, pretty clean. Like they've done everything that the so has done. So that's a pretty clean clean one, but all the other ones, the career fields, um, if they're combat dive qualified and, and, uh, attack fees, unfortunately are not included in this in the same way, like they can come and apply, but they're going to go through the traditional stove, uh, application process. Um, sure. and they're going to go to the traditional phase two and then through the entire pipeline. So, uh, no hate there in any way. It's just, you know, that was the decision that we made. So I'll leave it well, at that, but yeah, people don't understand it. We went through this at the, at the, Schoolhouse too when I was there. So right around 2013 through 2015, they were doing this thing where they would just let you be a, a, a pararescue man. If you were a team leader, you'd mm -hmm. basically like 
audit like one or two blocks of the apprentice course and then poof, you're an officer. Man, that was a disservice to both the officers and the enlisted. Yeah. Like if you're a PJ team leader, you are not a crow. You are not an officer and vice versa. We would yeah. never, we, you would never dream to train a crow and then just be like, oh, you want to be a PJ? Like if we were able to like, you know, renounce commissions and if everything, yeah. was, you know, for this hypothetical, man, they're separate jobs. It's a separate mm-hmm. course. Like there's no hate to the TACP guys. You're, you're going to a new job. You're going to be expected to do like I would expect a PJ team leader. I don't care how, uh, you know, how good you are in combat. I don't care what like what your experience is. If you want to be a stow, that's a different career field. My guy, you got to pay. You got to pay your dues. You got to go to CCS because I would say the same thing. Like if a combat controller wants to go be a crow. Sorry, you you pay you take your you pay your uh, fees and you take your chances and you go to Kirtland. And you, you go through the course. Like, 100%. that's just what it is. Yeah. So, man, I'm in violent agreement with you there, sir. I'm glad that you guys made that change. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it is valuable developmentally wise. Like, and there's just things you don't pick up. Like, to teach everyone that you, everything you learn in CCS kind of through osmosis uh, while you're in the crew field is, is not the right answer because um, you're making decisions. That's right. You kind of need to know that stuff up front. So, that's right. Um, yeah. It's an easy one. And then um, I'll touch on the 19Z piece and then I'll circle back to, the, the more broad question that you gave me, like, what's it like to, to be in the institution during change? But um, so for your traditional 19 Zulu assessment, like phase one, phase two assessments for people who are cross-training for other career fields uh, in the Air Force, even other branches, and then, you know, our cadets at, at RTC and the Academy. So uh, that same place where uh, Aaron just mentioned that website, the, that package, the phase one package is going to happen. Then we'll have that phase two here in the spring. We haven't nailed down the exact date. I mean, we have a rough one, but I'm not going to put it out, but that stuff is being communicated to the, the detachments. And, um, so they'll do phase one then we'll have a spring and fall assessment and selection where they'll come out here and, uh, they'll get the experience and we'll see you know, what everyone's made of. And so, um, and that's kind of, we're going back to the way I experienced it. Exactly the same thing. There's a slight tweak procedurally in there, which is kind of irrelevant to the, to the public, but that's the only change. Like, and that's really just who's managing the phase one uh, hiring piece or, or invitation piece. Um, but other than that, it's going to be everything you've known about phase two prior with enlisted, you know, cadre members, officer cadre members, and you're coming here and you're going to, you know, we're going to test your metal and see, you know, what you have. And, and then that allows us, the important thing there is that allows us to get guys assessed, selected, and we get them, uh, their sessions straight into our career field. So we kind of get a hold of them early and then I can manage their pipeline, um, at STTS. At least that's the plan that could change a little bit too, of where they, they live during the pipeline process, but that, that's not been decided yet. So. So if, if, if I don't ask this question, we're going to get uh, accused of not actually asking the question because everybody wants very specific answers to everything yeah, out there in the internet verse. Uh, what specifically are we looking for that like those attributes for the, the candidates trying to come over and become a, a stow? Like yeah. they always want to know like exactly what it is. And I know it's a ridiculous question, but like what, what are we looking for very specifically? Yeah. So, I mean, the SD attributes apply to everybody. I mean, that's officer and enlisted. So I, I don't, I could list them off for you, but I know that they're out there <laughs> and I know them by heart, but, um, right. those attributes we value and we'll continue to value for everybody. Um, beyond that, I look at, you know, we've talked about a while for like, Hey, physical preparation isn't everything. 
but in my opinion, it is, it is your, you're, you're demonstrating to me how serious you took your preparation for this career field. And frankly, if you don't come in and you're not exceeding kind of the base minimum standards, I, I, I read into that pretty heavily, especially as yeah. a cadet. And, you know, I know I went through it and I know I worked, I was a maintenance officer doing 12 hour shifts and still training and coming and, and performing. Um, and I know it's challenging, but you know, it shows kind of where your priorities are and how bad you really want to be here. So I that's look right. at that as like, Hey, your fitness has to be really, really outstanding. And that's just, that's just kind of your, um, your entry point beyond that. Then we're, we're talking about, Hey, what leadership qualities you have? Are you kind of a selfless leader and can you think critically and do you have kind of the right mental horsepower? And, you know, I mean, we test IQ and all those things. So that's an important piece of it. Um, and having the right mentality for the job, you know, and not everybody, like there's smart people out there who are just very narcissistic and self-serving and will not be a good officer. I'm um, right here. I can hear yeah. you. Like why? Like, <laughs> I don't know why you, you have to be so mean. You're on our podcast. You're coming. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, me too. Yeah. If you're trying to beat me to the bottom of this, I'm going to No, no way. I'm going to beat you there. Um, we were having a discussion. We have a discord that, that is awesome. So, you know, okay. a couple hundred people big. And, you know, we were having this discussion last night. I was I was trying to we asked straight up. We're like, hey, what, what questions would you want to ask the STTS commander? Some of them were silly, like little things that we're not going to address. But one of them was was to your point here. They were asking, you know, why are the why is the physicality requirement different? And I framed it like, hey, you know, the officers have this pre-selection. Because if you come in as an officer and you do like the enlisted IFT numbers, like if you're like mid range on there, you're automatically in the bottom 10% of any officer yeah. selection. Like you're expected to have for all the, the reasons that you said, we're not just looking, we are looking for physical freaks. We want people that are absolutely insanely good shape, but it shows the work and the dedication that we're looking for that that's more, it shows that you're willing to prepare and yeah. to go forward and actually succeed at this thing. Um, we talked a little bit about, you know, the personality traits of a good leader and you just hit on it there. I just want to unpack it a little bit. So what are some of those personality traits that when you see it, you're like, that's a good ST officer. Um, oof, that's very specific, <laughs> specifically broad question. Um, just describe yourself and it'll, it'll work out. No, I don't, I don't know about that, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I think. I think one of the big things is, um, I, I mentioned selfless leader, you know, leaders eat last, those like Simon Sinek, you know, he, he talks about that. Um, I think that's a very good mentality, right? So you're, it's gonna, you're gonna struggle because, hey, you are, you know, young, I, I struggled with this, everyone does. You're a young, capable, fit dude. You're like, hey, I, I wanna get out here and, and hack the mish or whatever, however mm -hmm. you, wanna, you wanna say it. Um, I was ready to like, Hey, I want to go down range and be a JTAC and, and do combat things. Like that was my, not because I wanted to be an individual, but that just is where the opportunity existed. Um, but during my time as a team leader, I had to prioritize my enlisted forces development over my own development because, Hey, I would get one rep at this, right. Potentially mm -hmm. at best. Um, but you know, one of these senior airmen may go do this three or four times. And if I take one of those reps away, and I know there's different mentalities here, but this is how I think about it. You know, I'm, I'm robbing them of that experience. And that's really their job is to be the tactical experts. And I can be doing other things that only I can do. You know, like obviously sure. they can go be JTACs as well, but 
they can't go advocate and learn and be, you know, the future or lead the, the career field in the right direction and down the road. So I had to remember like, Hey, there's only things I can do as an O that I should be doing. And if I'm not doing those and I'm trying to do what my enlisted force is doing, then I'm, I'm kind of missing the point and I'm doing them a disservice. Um, and so, you know, I didn't finish, uh, I went to SOTAC and this is just a personal story, but I didn't finish MQT mainly because I was running the team and I was like, Hey, we had two other stows in MQT and they're younger guys. And I was like, all right, all of us can't do this. And yeah, I talked to my commanders. Like, hey, is there a chance I'm going down range as a JTAC? And he's like, no, nah, probably not. And so I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, right. being honest with me. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate that. And I said, okay, yeah. well, then I pulled Fair myself enough. out of the program and I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll prioritize other people's training over, over what I would have desired to do. And, you know, well, some of those guys got to go have that experience and it was very good for them. So, nice. um, you know, not to, not tooting my own horn in any way, but that is kind of the mentality I think you have to have is like, realize it's not really about you. Like, yeah, you are a strong fit person, but that's not why we're hiring you to be the best operator in the world. We're hiring you to be the best leader that we can have. Um, and, and that isn't always what you want to have happen. If that makes sense. True. Um, so, but I, I yeah, do think it, it is important for, yeah. I do think you, because you you at least experienced it a little bit. You may not have finished, you know, IQT, MQT, and and gotten your mm-hmm. JTAC qualification. But whether it's JTAC or whether it's something else, I do think it's important for officers to at least, whether they finish 100%. or not, at least chase it. Because when you do have a senior airman, staff sergeant, tech sergeant saying like, "Hey, I need this kind of training," or you know, this piece of equipment. I mean, you can continue on and on with yeah. it, but. Um, if you haven't experienced it yourself, you're kind of like, of course you want that new shiny thing, or, or of course you want to yeah. go to this badass school. But if you had experienced it and been, you know, whether it's downrange or in training, you're like, no, actually that piece of kit or that training would have benefited me massively. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, absolutely. Like that is worth putting squadron or, or group resources, funding equipment and stuff like that towards, uh, and putting time towards, um, cause without that experience, you just kind of be like, well, yeah, of course you just want to go buy this thing yeah. and, you know, and yeah. in an environment that we're yeah. in right now, like that's, that's tough. That's a great, I yeah. mean, that's a really good point. You know, that, that if, if I were to tell anyone, Hey, that's really just kind of having the ground truth, right? Like ha- knowing what the ground truth is and you may get to experience it. And I think that is the best way to do it is through experience, but it's also the trust of like, you know, your senior NCOs and your NCOs to tell you the ground truth. But you know, that, the book, my favorite leadership book, you know, the mission, the Menemy. <clears throat> you know, I'm sure you guys have brought that up with people, but Absolutely. there's that, yeah. there's that story that they talk about early on when, you know, they're, they're in the invasion of Iraq and, you know, there's generals that talk to <clears throat> what to do. Yeah. Ground force commanders like, Hey, this is not the right answer. Um, you lose, like, it's very important to be cognizant that as you go up in your career, you start to lose a little bit of connective tissue there. And it's, it's good to understand like, Hey, I've got to trust and maintain that trust. And, it, and that helps them trust you that uh, as well, that they're giving me the ground truth, you know, and I have to listen to that because if I start to think like, Hey, in my mind, you don't need this piece of kit because I think you're just trying to spend money and have more Gucci gear. You know, that could be a life-saving piece of equipment that you didn't really understand because you just haven't been there for a while. So um, that's facts. Yeah. 
That's facts. And uh, it, I don't know when you have you gone to the to the 04 course where you guys are required to get a lobotomy and forget everything that you ever learned in the team room. <laughs> or are you not there yet? We uh, are so. the chief course. It does. Yeah. They run yeah. Them concurrently. Yeah. I, absolutely uh, I haven't completed it yet. So I guess I'm Good. still. Yeah, that's wh- that's why we agree so much there. Um, so <laughs> w- what other what other lessons have you learned from leading this this highly, uh, you know, highly specialized, high performing team? Like we talk about leadership and, you know, I want to talk about how we develop leaders. Right. Because people ask us all the time, how do I how do I prepare, you know, for these things? We you, you talk about, yeah, physicality is easy, you know, doing yeah. more push ups, running faster, lifting more weight. That's easy. You, you can get there at, at any time. Right. But how do we, you know, I, I want to talk about how do we make a better leader? How do we help people prepare for those attributes that we're looking at? But I, I want to open it up with what leadership lessons have you learned from leading these high performing teams? Yeah. So I'll touch on the physicality thing one more time. And just mainly because it's, again, it's not about like, hey, you're a physical study. Just a, I think the big thing is it allows you to think and perform under immense amounts of pressure, right? Like, Yep. I'll, I'll give a correlation to my personal life of racing. Like, do you need to be super fit to drive a race car? Maybe not in the reality of it. I do this a lot, but what it allows you to do is it is physical and then it's high stress and high you know speed environment. And you get to make mm-hmm. decisions and your mind stays pretty calm throughout that. And you're not panicking because you're not worried about your own self-preservation. That's, that's the big piece. Of sure. It. Um, sure. anyways, so to, to continue forward, um, I think when you're talking about leading high, high performing pe- people, there's only a, really a handful of things. One, you know, give them good m- intent and purpose. Like if you give them a why, I, this is always, it comes back to why, like, why the hell do we need to do this? And why do we need to do it now? And why is it a priority to the squadron? And why should it then be a priority to me or, or the, or the force at large? I think generally if your why is, is rooted in the things that we value as one human beings, Americans, and then, you know, Air Force special tactics uh, operators, then they're going to buy into it. Once you get the buy-in, fuck, just get out of their way is really all it is. Like, make sure that it, they will, you give them that and the intent and purpose and say, hey, here's what I want to see happen. I don't need to sit there then and give you a one-page bullet paper of, like, exactly how to get there. Like, I know you will figure that out. I will guide you and keep you within the right boundaries to make sure yep. it's legal and moral and, uh, yeah. and, you know, and we'll get, get to the insight we're way. looking for. Yeah. But I don't, I don't have the general, my own time to invest into every problem that comes around that. It, and if I try to do it by myself, yeah, we'll do one thing really well. But if I let the team run it, man, we could do 10 things really well and really progress the, the, the unit in a massive way versus, you know, my own individual being involved in every single little detail of everything. Like micromanagement, as we've, as we've heard it is, is not the way to lead. Um, and you don't need to do that with people that are very self-motivated. So that's right. Couldn't agree more. Uh, sir, as, uh, as you look back at your career though, that, that first phase one failure, you know, you got yeah. rejected for your first phase one application. How did that inform your perspective, uh, moving forward throughout your career? And how often does that come up? And the, those lessons come up as you, uh, you know, you deal with people and personalities and things that they're going through and also, uh, personal things that you're dealing with. Yeah. Um, you know, I was very immature when I started college. Uh, and so like my grades didn't do well. Like I'll admit, like I was not this 
I think what people see is like, Hey, he's accomplished these things. And like, he obviously has always been incredible. I was like, that's bullshit. Anyone that you see who's highly successful has had a period of failure. I would, I would argue. Oh yeah. And, um, so that experience phase one was like really like, uh, eye opening. I was like, okay, I need to get my shit together. If I really want to do something like this, then I need to take my personal development and myself to a, a level I'm not at yet. Um, clearly. And that came down to specifically, like there's some attention to detail things in the package. There was just general lack of leadership experience. They're like, Hey, you just haven't done much yet. And so go be an officer in the air force and then come back and apply. That was literally the feedback I got. They're like, Hey, Oh wow. Go be an officer in the air force and then apply. We want you to reapply, but you know, you're not ready yet. And tough to hear. Don't get me wrong. I was, I was upset. Um, but frankly, it was probably the best thing that could have happened because I, I really did get a lot of experience that was very, very helpful. And then I was very prepared and mature to, to manage the pipeline and, you know, have, being married and all the other stuff that, you know, life throws at you. Um, so I think that's the big thing is like putting yourself in a position to potentially fail. And if you fail, you know, understand, like, it's just an opportunity for growth. It's not, it's not the end of the world. I mean, even with the Olympics, like, Hey, I failed and sucked a lot and still sucks. It bothers me a lot all the time, but it was an opportunity for growth. And I got to, you know, I, I've got a lot of, a lot of positive has come out of it as well. So. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're, they're totally po- I mean, I, I know it's a disappointment, sir, but yeah. like that, that is, <laughs> we don't need to, we don't need to hang on that point. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. We won't <laughs> hang on it. But, but like, it's a big failure. It's not like, so, yeah. it's not like it keeps it's, you up at night or anything. Yeah. yeah, yeah the fourth exactly. time you mentioned it. <laughs> but I mean, just uh, right off the bat, it's, it's a huge accomplishment. Um, we, we, we kind of alluded to other big rocks that you guys are doing at STTS, obviously, you know, officer selection being probably one of the largest, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I wanted to at least hit a couple of the other things, uh, things that like I, we aren't even tracking. So what yeah. are some of the other things you guys are working on at STTS? Yeah. So I've, I've got a pretty uh, grandiose vision about how I think uh, training should be re- generally restructured inside of ST. I'm not going to get super deep into it because it is, I'll be, I'll definitely be, you know, driving out in front of my headlights, but, um, some of the stuff we're doing internal squadron time now that is, that's exciting. Um, and I think is, is needed. Uh, one, we haven't been doing FMPs for a while, right? So getting the full mission profile thing back in, which is really important, especially on the officer NCO development, you're talking planning, rehearsing, all the stuff that goes into doing an actual real world mission. If you don't do that in the pipeline and the first time you're doing it is on training iterations or with you know joint partners, like you're way behind the power curve. Very much so. so. That's right. That's wanting right. to do that earlier and more often is something that we've started. And then taking it to a level where, you know, looking at the future threats that, that are facing our force and the nation, it's like, hey, I don't need you guys going after single individuals and, and you know, a, a road with some AKs. Like I need you doing force on force maneuver tactics, like setting up bases of fire, understanding how to ambush, how to flank, like fighting a, a like-minded, like capable force um, is important. And so that's something that, you know, hopefully with this, one of the teams is currently in training when they hit their culmination exercise, um, we're going to have the plan is to have another team that's in training as well, kind of have their own planning period where they're going to plan a defense and we're going to have them on the offense and then 
they're going to go head to head. And there is a high oh, probability. I yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Let's go. So there's a high probability there'll be failure. And that's to me, I'm, I'm I welcome it because it's a great opportunity to learn and it's, there's no better place to do it. So yeah, um, that's, hope, that's where we're driving to. If we'll get there in this next class, I'm not sure, but I, what we've done is kind of stood up a small development cell inside of the, the squadron to just focus solely into that effort because it's, it is going to take a bit of planning and, and coordination. But um, yeah, I think, I think it's the righteous thing to do. And, you know, when you're talking about fighting Chinese or Russian forces, like right now we're, we're relying on things like air superiority. Like we need to rely on the ability yeah. to, to win gunfights. And, you know, I don't know if we're there right now as, as a force. Not to say we don't have the capability, we just haven't been preparing in that manner. So that's one thing. Um, the other thing I've tried to bring into the squadron is, you know, a sense of competition. Uh, so like we're starting to have like a best operator deal inside of the squadron internal to the, the teams in training. And then we're actually, we put it out so that it is official. We're going to do like a best operator ranger competition style thing for all the two, four South. Nice. Um, yep. which, nice. is, which is going to be pretty cool. And, uh, we're planning that I'll execute in April, but, uh, yeah, that's a pretty big deal. And, you know, I think that's just kind of like, Hey, we got really capable dudes. I've always wanted to go to the Ranger competition. And I was like, well, we should just do our own thing. Right. Let's, let's get it. Let's be proud let's of go. our soldiering skills and let's go, you know, show the world what we're capable of. Um, so that, and that's going to be a pretty, pretty big event around. I think there's a ball happening as well. So those are some of the exciting things. And then, you know, some of the other stuff that's a bit more mind numbing, but, but valuable is how, how we track our, how we track student feedback and performance and how that student feedback and performance then goes forward to squadrons. And that's, a, they, they have kind of a, a body of, of growth that you can, you can visibly see throughout their entire time as an ST airman. Um, that's awesome. That's something that we've lacked. It's like, Hey, you do well on the pipeline and then or you don't do well in the pipeline more, more importantly. And then they show up a squadron like, well, what was this guy like? Yeah. Like, I don't know. You're re <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're relearning all the bad things that we could have given you a heads up on that he needs, he needs help with. Yeah. Um, so I, and I've seen that from both sides, you know, as, as the guy that, you know, graduated these teams, like, unless, unless somebody pinged me directly and wanted to talk, no kidding about this person, like, Hey, how did Johnson do in the pipeline? And unless I could like bring up in my head, Oh, they yeah. had problems with this. Like, that's valuable input that you need. You know, you, you never want to, I always want to let people, especially graduating the pipeline, like you get to come on team with a fresh slate. You get to, you know, be your own operator. You get kind of like a fresh start, like every unit, you get to kind of reinvent yourself as an operator mm -hmm. and you get to be, you know, whatever. I think there's, there's value in that, but there's, there's way more value in understanding who you are as a person, seeing your learning history, knowing what you struggled with. Cause I can, I can then be a better supervisor to you. I don't have to spend six months a year figuring these things out because i don't have a year to figure it out we might be in the committed phase right when you get there i might yeah. have two months with you before we go down range together so we need to know that that's an awesome initiative yeah and really kind of the idea is like hey like you're like you're saying it's to give you got to give the the line units the ability to right off the bat be like hey i know this guy's struggling in these attributes and sure be rooted in the sc attributes just so it's all kind of tied connective to connective tissue to how you have been assessed and selected. Uh, and so those attributes value will continue to value throughout your career. And we can say, Oh man, you need to develop a bit on your communication or, you know, your leadership sure. or whatever it is. And, and that's the things that we can then give you focused feedback and versus jumping into a training cycle. And you're like, man, I just need you to show up on time to things right now. And I can't really think about what is it that you need as an individual. 
at least the, the flight command teams will have that ahead of time. So nice. And um, I'm excited for where yeah. STTS is going. Are, did you have something else that you wanted? Like the, another uh, thing you guys were working with? Think. No, I think that's the stuff that I'll, I'll, I'll speak to now. Hopefully okay, when we yeah. talk again in the future, then, you know, I'll have a bit more, a few more initiatives that are, that are have yeah. taken shape, but yeah, there's some exciting institutional level change items that we're working through that are just not mature enough, nor do I think, I think I get in trouble if I talk about it at this point, but yeah, um, for sure. Well, I, I mean, I, I gotta say, sir, like, I, I think it's awesome. And, and, you know, I got pretty excited when I was at Herbie a couple months ago and, and Rosie, took me back because we're, uh, we're going to yeah. have Rosie on as well oh, cool. uh, in yeah, early 2023. Great. But like he showed me his, the, the wall, the magical wall of, of the whiteboard of everything yeah. that's going on. And I, it was pretty exciting to see. And, yeah. and also to see, um, you know, some of the challenges you guys are working for. Cause I know that we've kind of only talked about the positive here, yes. what people don't understand and, and whether they're students or whether they're, uh, you know, other folks out in the career field is all the other this is just positive. You're hearing yes. all the other challenges, whether it's, you know, resource constraints, manning constraints, mm-hmm. funding, all that kind of stuff are all hurdles that you guys are navigating on, a, on a daily basis and yes. things, you know, special tactics and, and SOCOM and stuff like that does move fast for the military. But even then in the grand scheme of things, like it's still a slow moving mm-hmm. machine. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so as, as we part, sir, uh, I would like to ping you about what kind of advice you would have for any, you know, uh, future young officers or current officers that would like to, uh, like to join our ranks. Yeah. You know, I think, um, first off, you know, if, if this is something you're very interested in doing, I will tell you that it is incredibly rewarding. Now I've, I have ebbed and flowed as most people will through their career. I want to give you straight up front. Like it will not always feel the most rewarding, you know, and you're not always going to get to do exactly what you hoped you would do, but I will tell you, that's how it is everywhere. I mean, everywhere. Yeah. you know, it that's could right. Be maintenance. It could be you know, mm-hmm. Olympic level bobsledding or non-Olympic level bobsledding. Like, you know, uh, <laughs> You just, you may, it may not end up being exactly what you hoped it would be all the time, but there will be a lot of moments where it's exactly what you hoped it would be. Um, and those nice. moments are worth it. And, and really the most important part of this career field is, is the people that you get to engage with, like, and, and like you guys, like having, it's just a, a cut above everybody else. I mean, it just clearly is that way. And, um, you can do so much with such a capable force of human beings that want to do a lot. Uh, that's pretty badass to work with people like that. Like you're not just trying to get the basics done. You know, you're ready to maybe change the future of, of ST and they want to help you do that. That's, that's pretty cool. So I'd say, you know, make sure you want those things and that you're ready to be in that environment. Um, have your personal life in order. Don't come in here. If you're not like sound, your, your family's not on board. If you have a family, like that's going to be a big strain to them initially. It will continue to be a strain no matter what stage of your career you're in. Um, and then really, you know, work on yourself and be, be the best version of who you can be and be exactly who you are. Do not come to us and try to be like this other, like, I think I know what kind of officer you're looking for, what kind of human you're looking for. No, we want the, we want you and what you offer to the force and your unique perspective. And if it's not the right perspective, then, Hey, it just might not be the right fit for you. But 
yeah. more for the career field, but, and you just have to accept that as feedback and, and move forward and do something else. But that's, that's what we're looking for. Um, generally speaking. So you do those things, you come prepared, you have a, a true heart and a servant heart, servant leader's heart. And you know, I think you'll generally be successful. So. There it is. There's the IG reel right there. Crushed it right there, baby. (laughs) That's going to do numbers. Yeah. Well, sir, definitely appreciate uh, you coming on the podcast. Uh, We really enjoy it. It's been fun following you through your career. And, and, um, man, thanks for everything that you're doing at STTS, you, Rosie, and the rest of the team, all the instructors that are putting things in on a day-to-day basis because um, instructing is not easy. And it no, is a challenge. And, and Aaron alluded to it as well. It's like those dudes are there, you know, an hour, two hours before the students. And they're there an hour, two hours afterwards. And they also have all the other stuff they've got to do. So yeah. definitely shout out and appreciate everything that the instructors are doing yep. too. So 100%. that's it from us out here. We appreciate you joining us. Don't forget to like, subscribe, leave a review, and tell us how terrible we are. Later, guys. Awesome. Turn on.